Miss Joyce, say it Y'all sit down. You just come. Come up here, Miss Joyce. She's not expecting this. I didn't tell her. Come on up, Miss Joyce. And then I want, uh, who was it? Where's Jennifer Glasscock? I want you to come up, Jennifer. Miss Joyce, I just want you to share maybe what, no, not maybe, but what the Holy Spirit spoke to you and today when you were praying and just what God spoke to you, Miss Joyce. God made me feel so free. So I don't have anything to worry about. The worry is unnecessary. So I could go on with my life free and not worry about nothing. Because God got it. And I sure thank you. Yes. Yes. And even my children. Don't worry about them. God got them too. And that was so important to me. Very important. I want my family to be a whole. And God said, don't worry about it. He got it. He will take care of it. And I believe him. Yes. Come on, give the Lord a I just want to say this when Brother Keith prayed over and said, You're not going to be dropped, you're not going to be wiping any drool off of your face. And when he said that, Miss Joyce, I just cried because I saw you wipe the drool off of Precious's face so many times. Yes. Lord, yes. Yes. And thank you, Jesus. Father, right now, we just pray just an yes. outpouring. God, of your spirit and of your grace and of your power, just greater measure, God, of your power over Joyce's life, that she can be confident in knowing that you're with her. You never leave her. You you never forsake her. And that, God, not only that, but you empower her to believe for her future and all that you have for her. We just thank you and we bless your name, Jesus. Just touch her even greater now than ever before we pray. Yes, In Jesus' name. Mighty name Amen. of Jesus. Amen. Yes. Amen. Thank you. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. Father, touch you. <laughs> Jennifer, I, I don't know what happened to you, but I just know something happened to you. And because you know, I just want to say that Jennifer is together, but when the Lord touches, she loses it. <laughs> so just tell them what the Lord did to you. Not did you, whatever. You, go ahead. I'm going to hold it. Okay. <laughs> um, it's, it's hard to put into words. I had to ask Brother Keith a while ago, what, what was that? I, I, uh, it's happened several times where there's just a, um, an overwhelming pain that wells up inside of me. And it's not mine but it's a burden. And when it comes, it has to flow through because it's not mine and I have to release it to the Holy Spirit and then there comes a peace. 
that's all I can say. I don't know. Whenever I meet with people, I've learned lately that my body absorbs what they're giving. And, um, and I've suffered some physical problems because of that. And in the last three weeks, I've been delivered from, from severe back pain that's lasted for three years. And a complete miracle. I don't have it anymore. And, um, and so I don't have any other words. Father, right now. Father, right now. Just extend your hands. Father, right now. We just thank you. We thank you for the gift and the gift and the call of God. It's on Jennifer's life. It's so evident. And, Father, we just pray, God, that you would just pour out on her a greater peace and a greater level of measure. In Jesus' name, Father. Jennifer, what does that wailing feel like? It, it's, a, it's a deep well of, 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 of wailing, of, of, of just crying and agony. And, and it just overtakes me. It's just... <laughs> some special forces tonight. They've driven four and a half hours down here. Alice, come up here. <laughs> little baby, little push. Big baby, big push. Say that with me. Little baby, little push. Big baby, big push. How many ever had a little baby? How many of you ever had a big baby? <laughs> little baby, little push. Saw on the internet the other day a woman had an 18-pound baby. Big baby, little baby, big baby, little baby, big baby, little baby, big baby. God's asking for a big push from Jennings OSC and from Eunice and from Crowley. Amen. I believe that there's going to be a spirit of travail that comes on you in a depth that you do not know. And our groaning must equal the groaning that's on the outside of this wall. Job said, I heard a groan from out of the city, the soul of the wounded crying out. We don't want to read those parts, do we? It's kind of like going into a a bookstore and trying to find a book that has to do with, you know, some of the things that we don't like to talk about. They're very rare. Spirit of God has just come 
what he's doing right now, he's confirming. To the degree that you have conflict in your house, to that degree you must intercede. You can't just pray, now lay me down to sleep. I pray, my Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord, my soul to take. That prayer is not going to do. You can't pray over your meal and say, God is great, God is good, and we thank you for our food. By his hands we're led. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. We can't sing it like they do in Sweden where they go, Thank you, Lord, for giving us bread. Thank you, Lord, for giving us food. Thank you, Lord, for giving us food right where we are. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, praise the Lord right where we are. Those prayers are not going to work. There's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've seen... I've seen hundreds and even thousands of people slain in the spirit, literally. I've seen gymnasiums, floors filled and no music going on. I have seen the sanctuary, every chair moved to the side. I've seen them down hallways. I've seen some of the largest buildings you'd ever want to go into look like a battlefield where the presence of God came. And I I listen to people that mock what God has been doing in some of the revival quarters in the last few years. I've preached in those places. I've had a privilege of walking with those guys and, and being a part of their lives and them being a part of our lives. I'm going to tell you right now, I've seen far more intercession. I've heard far more groaning than I have laughter. Have I heard laughter? I'm going to tell you I've heard laughter. When Bryant got up last night and told his story, I couldn't believe that that thing that you were hungry for didn't break out. It's because we don't know how to respond to the presence of God. We respond religiously when God wants us to respond with all our heart, soul, and mind. We're to love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, and mind. When he walks into the room, we feel his presence. His presence has come and dropped in on these meetings again and again. Wednesday night in Lafayette, the presence of God came like a glory cloud and dropped on the people. And people sat for three hours just in his presence. Some of them had never even seen anything like that before. I see this. My grandson asked me, he said, Papa, is there ever a meeting that you go into that the Spirit of God does not move like that? And I said, no, Cameron, because I expect it. See, as a preacher of the gospel, I don't owe you a sermon. I owe you an encounter with God. And if we don't owe people an encounter with God, if this church doesn't feel like it owes people an encounter with God, we might as well close the doors because they can go down the street and get a sermon they can knit things together, you know. They can read another book on how to win friends and influence people. But we're talking about the rarefied air of the presence of God. We're talking about the raw power of God that is life-changing and transforming. And there's no question about what grace is because it's grace that changes you. And I just brought in one of my spiritual daughters. As much as Jacob, as much as Bubba are a part of my life, this lady is a part of my life. She's not just a pretty face. 
She absolutely has an understanding of the Spirit of God that every one of you can walk in. And I love her as much as I love my own children. I mean it, and she knows that. When she moved out of our area to northern Louisiana where her husband could teach doctoral students and prepare them, he's a Dr. Mike Hicks. His name was Chukamika Chikalazi, and he came over here. He has that Nigerian name. He changed his name to Mike Hicks. Her name's Alice Hicks. He just took her last name. Amen. I don't blame him. Cletty is bad enough. Amen. <laughs> but I'm just going to ask her. Just She'll have a word. I have not talked to her about this. She just called and said she's coming. Drove all the way down here. You thought you were hungry. She has been in a desert. I said she has been in a desert, spiritual desert, fighting for every inch that she, you know, can find in God. If you don't have that in you, you're, you're going to make more mistakes. But if God puts that in you, you'll walk out of this door tonight and the devil will scream when you get up in the morning and he'll say, Oh, no, they're up again. That's the kind of Christians it's going to take to change and transform cities. We don't want to just offer them a new form of Catholicism where they can come and, and live for an hour. And listen, I've got many Catholic friends that are dead serious when it comes to the things of God. When I get sick, I want them praying for me. Because they believe in miracles. Amen. It's like they retain a childlike faith. I love that sound. <laughs> Hallelujah. God's just moving the furniture around. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. You thought you were around something over there. You thought you were a part of something over there. I'm just going to have my friend Alice just say what's on her heart. And then I want her to pray for us. And when she begins to pray, the spirit of prayer is going to come on you. The Bible says the older women are to teach the younger women how to well. I mean, you teach your daughter how to cook. It would be a lot better for you to teach her how to well. I mean, really, really, really get a hold of God. My mama knew how to get a hold of God. My wife's mama knew how to get a hold of God. My wife knows how to get a hold of God. To live with me, she had to know how to get a hold of God. <laughs> this is Alice. She's one of our daughters. And I want her just to share what's on her heart. She didn't know I was going to do this. And then pray. Well, he said God moved the furniture around. He moved my furniture, and I didn't like it. <laughs> my husband and I have been living in um, the, the Cincinnati, northern Cincinnati uh, um, area, and uh, Heritage Fellowship is our home, our church home, and this is our pastors, Pastor Clady and Pastor Gaynell, and we, we love Heritage, and um, you have to watch the, those dreamers. I had a friend of mine that I hadn't spoken to in several several months, 
And uh, she sent me a text message. Thank God for text messages. She sent me a text message back in um, um, August of last year, August, September of last year. And she said she had a dream about me. And I really do like dreams. And she said she had a dream about me. She said, I dreamed you had two surprise parties. She said one was in Cincinnati and one was in Arkansas. I promise I said, God, no. <laughs> Don't tell me I'm going to Arkansas. <laughs> and, uh, but that's what happened. Um, just looking on the internet, thank God for the internet. We were looking on the internet one day, and um, my family's in Arkansas, and my mother was going through some health challenges. Lost my dad last year in June. And was sensing things were changing, and there'd be a call. But I didn't know exactly how that would work out. Because God knows my husband, is a, he's a logic man. It has to make sense. It has to, he's a business, and he's an intellectual, and it has to make sense, and all of the... The T's got to cross and the I's got to dot. I was thinking, there's no way that, that's going to happen. So he applied for a position and says, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. Well, they hired him on the spot. <laughs> I was not looking for a job. I hadn't even interviewed and they offered me a job. So I knew that this was a God thing. And so we've been in the Arkansas area for the last um, eight months. And now we're in the uh, Louisiana area. And uh, so God is just doing a quick work. We received prophecies that God was calling us to communities. And now we're living in Ohio, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Missouri. We got houses in all of those places. And, uh, and I've been crying saying, God, get me out. 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 Get me out of this place. But God said that he had needs to go through Arkansas. Needs, must needs to go through Arkansas. And I was thinking, God, come on, surely there's, a, there's another way. <laughs> and so I found myself back in the places where I grew up. Uh, people I hadn't seen since I've gone to school and people that looked like me. Because I have six sisters, five brothers. I have lots of people that look like me, but I'm not them. But people think I'm them because we talk alike and we look alike. And people are wanting to talk to me when I go into Walmart. And I don't want to talk to people when I go into Walmart. <laughs> I want to get my toothpaste and leave. <laughs> so it's a big difference. You know, everybody want to talk to you. Everybody want to hang out. And it's like, God, get me away from these people. I don't want this. Get me back to Ohio. Get me out of here. And God says, I, I got needs here in Arkansas. And so some of the bucking has settled down. I'm still kind of somewhat in the middle of it, but it's not nearly the way that it was because the job that he's given me is such a peace. I go to work and I actually feel guilty like, wow, I get paid to have this much fun. But God says I have needs to go through Arkansas. And I said, now what does that mean? So the first Sunday that I was away, Thank God for the internet. I tune in to my church back in Florence, Kentucky. And there's pastor preaching on must needs. I said, ah, must needs. Jesus had a need. He told me he had a need. I'm thinking, Jesus doesn't have a need. He got everything. 
but he had a need to meet the will of the Father. So if Jesus has a must need where he's sending you on your job, the family that you're in, as much as you want to get out, (laughs) you're placed in that family for a reason. To meet a need and then to get your need met. So the first couple of days after being in Arkansas, I go to Applebee's. It's the only chain restaurant there is in this small town. I go to Applebee's and I see family, a whole full of extended family in front of me. One of them gets on the phone and call another family member to tell them that we're there. They're in Applebee's. So they call on the phone to talk to someone that's sitting at the table. I mean, that's, that's the talk of the town, that Alice and her husband has moved it from Ohio and they're at Applebee's. <laughs> Two nights later, I go to the same Applebee's because that's the only chain restaurant in town. The same family members are there. And I'm thinking, God, get me out, get me out, get me out, get me out. I don't want to be here. God says, I have needs in Arkansas. I go to Walmart. I mean, Walmart is what I call Mall Mart. (laughs) So I go to Mall Mart, and there's a girl there that I went to school with. I haven't seen her since I graduated from high school. This has been 20-plus years, 25 years that I haven't seen this girl. And I hear someone in Walmart screaming my name, Alice! Alice! I'm thinking, God, get me out, get me out, get me out, get me out. (laughs) Ah. I'm about to have a breakdown serious this is too much for me because in Ohio it's just my husband and me and our church is in Florence and really and pastor know that this is true between Ohio and between Cincinnati and Florence Kentucky there's a river And a lot of the people on the Kentucky side, they really act like Cincinnati is out of town. So my friends at church, they're not showing up at my door because they thought that's out of town. (laughs) So I really like my little life in Cincinnati. I live right from the park. When I wasn't working, I could go and I can sit and I can pray under a tree for five hours, six hours. My husband come on and say, what have you done today? And I said, you wouldn't even want to know. Just having those prayer times with God when I could lay out under a tree and then all of this, I felt like it was just taken from me. And then everywhere I go, I see people, they know me. And I'm saying, no, I don't, that must have been, no, it was you. You used to come to my church and I'm thinking, God, get me out, get me out, get me out. But God says I have needs to be in Arkansas. So I see this girl in Walmart and she's talking and she's talking and she's talking and I want to run from her because I'm just not used to this level of, Nosiness, yeah, that's what it is, nosiness. And uh, so, she, so she goes on out of the store and she says, come to see me. And my flesh wanted to say, I don't do that. I don't just stop by people's houses. But what came out was, okay. And being a person of integrity, I don't just say things that I'm going to do in there and don't do it. And I'm thinking, God, how do I make this right? (laughs) I put my word out there that I was coming to see her. And she had a two-year-old boy. She says, I'm 40 years old. I just gave birth to this two-year-old. 
So then I thought, I'll use that as my, as my talking point. I, if I just have to go by to take this two-year-old a gift. And then I thought, that would be an opportunity for a prayer meeting. So I'm going to be calling her to see if she'll be open for a prayer meeting. Says God has needs to be in Arkansas. Let's get a prayer meeting going on. So I'm there. My pastor's somewhere else. But God has needs to be in Arkansas. And I can see God so in the midst of this family that he placed me in. And I'm even saying, God, get me out, get me out, get me out. Because I've been away from home so long. They knew me as a kid, but they don't know me as the intercessor. They don't know me as the minister of God. They don't know me as the woman of God. They don't know me as the mouthpiece of God. They just knew me as the girl that they sent away to college. And there's a lot of religion. I mean, it's everywhere. But it's really in my family. What the Baptists didn't do, the Kojic finished off. (laughs) But God says he has needs in Arkansas. So there are two Bible characters that have helped me stand still. The Samaritan woman and Jonah. I have really wanted to jump ship. I mean, you don't even have to throw me over. I just wanted to just jump. But as I think about Jonah, when I look at that passage of the Bible, it says that Jonah paid his own fare. Well, I don't want to pay. Then he went down in the ship. I don't like the sound of down. Then when the storm came, they had to cast lots to see who's in sin in here. So I've had to ask myself those questions. Are you in sin by continuing to keep murmuring about going back to your nicey life in Cincinnati where you can lay in the park and moan and groan and travail? And there's a time for that. But as pastor's son uh, Kyle says, that God did say go pray, but he also said come out. (sighs) So Jonah was thrown overboard. Then he was swallowed up by a fish. I didn't like the sound of any of that. So that has really helped me to stand still and see the salvation of God and meet the needs that needs to be met in Arkansas. And then the good part about it is I'm getting my own needs met. There were needs that I had. There were hurts there that I didn't know that they were there. There's family stuff and family drama that you're going to have to face before you can be launched out into that nationwide ministry. Some of you are saying that God called me to the nations. Well, before he called you to the nations, most likely he's going to call you back to that place. The people that you went to school with, those familiar faces that you haven't seen. And then pastor had the nerve enough to pray a prayer over me during New Year's Eve service and said, God, give her grace for new faces. I was thinking, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. But before you can be launched, And they're all different type of lunches. But before you can really be launched out into what God will have you to do and where he will call you to, you're going to have to go back. God gave me a conference once, 360 degrees of deliverance. And people tried to talk me out of it. They said, you don't want a 360. You want a 180. Because if it's a 360, you're going to end up in the same place. Well, that's the point. The place where you were when you got raped. The place where you were when you got divorced. You have to go back to deal with that hurt, 
that wound. That's the 360 degrees. When you get to that spot, get it fixed, then you can move out into the deep. And I must be really going deep because now I'm learning how to swim. I'm like, God, what are you trying to teach me? Going out into the deep. So I encourage your hearts now that wherever you are, look around you and see the need that God wants to meet right where you are. And I've said, I want out of here. I want out of here. I hate this place. And then I had to realize those were the devil's sentiments exactly. So those agitations that you feel that need to feel like, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. That's exactly what the devil wants. If he can just get you out of position, if he can just get you out of there, then you won't meet the need. Jesus took the long way around to get to Samaria. Now, God has given me a word that I'm going to go to Africa, but I had to go to Arkansas to get there. So we're going to pray now. And so after this prayer and moving days moving forward, I hope I've preached to myself. Stop telling God to get you out. And tell God to get the stuff out. Get the stuff out. Get it out, God. Get it out. That's going to be my prayer for now on. Instead of saying, God, get me out. Get me out. I'm going to say, God, get it out. Get it out, God. Get it out, God. Get it out. So God. Don't get us out, God. Don't take us out of the pressure. Turn the heat up on us, God. Turn the fire up on us, God. Burn out every impurity. Every evil and wicked thing. Those thoughts that are not of you. Those words that are not of you. Those mindsets that are not of you. Get the junk out, God. Get the shrinking thinking out, God. Move us out into the deep. Teach us, God, to go deeper than ankle deep. To go deeper than knee deep. Teach us to move out into the deep things of God. Heal us of every hurt, God. We push back the darkness, God, in our Samaria where, where you've called us, God. Lord God, help us to be fit to minister to the people in our Nineveh. In our Nineveh. The very place where we don't want to be, God. Place us there. Move in us. Move through us, God, like never before, God. Lord God, if you hadn't gone through Samaria, the woman wouldn't have gotten healed. She wouldn't have gotten her, her thirst quenched. But Lord God, we say yes to Samaria. We say yes to Nineveh, not to Tarshish, but to Nineveh. Yes. Tell God yes now. Yes. Say yes to Nineveh. Yes to Nineveh. Yes to our prejudice. The, those that we hold prejudice against. The people that are not like us. The people that don't look like us. The people, the people that don't sound like us. 
The people that just stop in without calling, unannounced, uninvited. Help us to say yes. Give us God-like character. Birth in us, God, the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, love, peace, patience. Lord God, we will pray for patience. We will pray for patience. For everyone that have said, I won't pray for patience because it means I'm going to have to go through something. You're going to have to go through it anyway, so you might as well ask for patience to go through it. So I pray patience on you. I pray pray gentleness on you. I pray self-control on you. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God, for that juniper tree. Oh, Lord God, that juniper tree, Lord God, even in the midst of our murmuring and our complaining, God. Lord God, help us to see, Lord God, that we don't want you enough to see the people that we are prejudiced against, to see them saved. Show us how our heart is like Jonah. Thank you, Jesus. And then move us out into that different place, God, so you can lunch us to that ministry that has been prayed and prophesied over us for 20 years. For 20 years. For 20 years. Well, I think she just read somebody's mail. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. Lord. I want everybody to stand for a second because I'm going to take a few minutes tonight just to, to teach and preach the word. Look, I can haul off and preach like, I can preach like T.D. Jakes. You think I can't. I can't. I've been doing this a lot. It's just a, it's just a style, folks. I'm telling you, it's just a style. And the people do the preaching anyway. Oh, that's an arrogant thing. No, it's not. I can do that. I started out preaching. I didn't think you were preaching unless you were wringing, soaking wet with sweat and walking on six inches of your britches leg. These two girls down here bubbing them, they've heard me. I used to preach till I hurt for a couple of days after I got through preaching. I preached till I was wringing, soaking wet with perspiration. Didn't have any air conditioning like this. Had big old fans in the top down here along this area over in Beaumont. And, you know, that's Lapland where Louisiana laps over into Texas. You know about that. A woman came up to me one time. She said... She was a Cajun girl, and she said, my daddy is a, he's a circuit-riding preacher. And I looked at her and said, man, that's wonderful. said, yes. said, he pastors in Bayou Blue and Bayou Gosh, and I ain't cussing either. I mean, that's, that's where I pastored, over in Beaumont, you know, close to Port Arthur. That's where I was, Amen. And so I preached a lot along this area and through this area. I have a mosquito in Beaumont. has got so much of my blood, he sends me a Father's Day card every year. (laughs) 
And so I don't want to have just another meeting. I, I, I don't like just good meetings. That's not what we're here for. I want you to have an encounter with God. Signs, wonders, and miracles are evidence of a greater reality. And if there is no signs, wonders, and miracles that take place in a church service today especially, then there's no greater reality than what we are, and we worship our own intellect. I don't want to re be reduced to just preaching something to you and you pat yourself on the back and say, man, I knew that. I don't want to preach just a predigested truth that you know so well. I want to do something that stretches you because I know that a mind that is stretched to a new dimension can never return again to the old dimension. I know that there's religious spirits in some of you, and I know that you have a hard time getting your brain wrapped around this. But I'm telling you that God is bigger than his book. That scares the living daylights out of faith people when I say that. I've found out that there's people today, they have four gods. They've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and God the Holy Bible. And God the Holy Bible is not a God. You need to understand that. I cut my teeth on faith. I've sat in, I've sat in restaurants where people would, I'd be sitting with one of the leading faith preachers in America. I am a faith man, totally absorbed. What happened, there was a man sitting behind us that had a heart attack in a Ramadian restaurant where it just cram-packed Waco, Texas, right there on that main drive. Or Lindsay, you know where I'm talking about and just right on Valley Mills, just fell right over in his plate of food. And when he just fell over in his plate of food, it was like an old advertisement used to be on TV. It was when E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. They were going. The whole crowd had stopped. It was just a, the restaurant stopped. People that were serving food through the window were looking like that. He had had a heart attack. He died right on the spot. His heart quit beating. I thought to myself, in honor of preferring one another, I said to this great faith man was telling me how much faith he had. I said, looks like God has given you an opportunity here. He was froze just like the rest of them. I've been listening to him tell me how much faith he had for about an hour. I've had to put up with that for years with people telling how much faith they have. If you don't use it, you don't have it. If you don't use it, you lose it. And so what happened was is that I just turned around, walked over the table. I said, I'm a preacher of the gospel. Does wife may I pray for him? She said, yes, sir. I went, in the name of Jesus. And he just sat right up in the chair. Just sat right up in the chair. They had already called the MS. They came rolling with the MS. I, I was walking along with him. I said, hey, buddy, where are you from? He said, I'm from McKinney, Texas. And I'd played football 20 years before in Texas, and one of the great football players out of McKinney, Texas, was a guy named Tommy Joe Crutcher. Every college wanted him. I said, do you know Tommy Joe Crutcher? He said, well, yes, I do. His dad's my best friend. We're 100 miles away from where he lives up in McKinney, Texas, to Waco, probably 100, no, a little further, probably 135 miles. And he said, yes, I do. His dad is my best friend. I said, I broke Tommy Joe Crutcher's collarbone. 
I put him out of action. It's not any big thing. It only takes two pounds to break a man's collarbone. So don't think I'm that tough. <laughs> Presence of God is here. You say, I don't understand that when you say that. I'm telling you the presence of God is here. He's closer to you than your next breath. When you walk out of this building, he's still going to be here. When you die and leave this world, the Holy Spirit is still going to be here. He is more here than we are. And what has happened, there has been a silent divorce of the church from the Holy Spirit. We relegate the Holy Spirit just like they did back in the 60s to a back room because we want to just make Make everybody comfortable. I'm going to tell you right now, we can make them so comfortable they'll never have conviction of sin. They will never feel as though they need to make a 180. They'll never feel as though they can be changed. The Holy Spirit is the one that does that work. It's the transforming, resurrecting power of God that has dropped in this room right now and he's here to do business with you. Some of you, your heart is in your throat right now at this minute. All of a sudden, your pulse is beginning to palpitate. You say, what is that? Some of you may even begin to perspire in this cold room. I tell you right now, I've seen people do all kind of things when the Spirit of God came knock, knock, knocking at their heart's door. I want him to knock, knock, knock at your heart's door tonight. Take the neighbor's hand next to you. Father, I pray for an unction of the Holy Spirit tonight. I pray that there will be life change. I pray that people in this room will discover their calling and their gifting. I pray tonight there will be people that walk out of here and they will be free indeed. I pray in the name of Jesus that they would get their eyes off this platform and get their eyes on you. Lord, that their hearts would be filled with hope. That hope would be shed abroad in their heart by the Holy Ghost. That you would just come and paint the discouraged woman's heart with, with grace and with expectation. I pray that you'll just paint her heart with hope. I heard, Alice, I heard you speaking through her. I heard you speaking to the people in this room. She just came with a story, but... Last night, Lord God, you gave me a word for this congregation about restlessness. She walks in here and she talks about restlessness. I come against that spirit of wanderlust and restlessness in this room. That people would bloom where they're planted. Where they would be rooted and grounded in love. And the power of God would cause the sap to rise. And the trees would be full of fruit in Jesus' name. And Everybody said, amen. amen. Turn around and slap somebody in the face and say, that's good for you. Amen. God bless you. May be seated. Last night, last night, I'll bring you up to speed. Last night I talked about how God spoke to me in three minutes and told me what he wanted me to do. How he wanted me to go across England with Follow Your God-Given Passion conferences. We did that. There was literally hundreds and hundreds of people that came. People's lives were changed. People found their God-given passion. 
possibility is that there are people in this room that you're doing what you were supposed to do, but God has a new assignment for you. Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber. How many of you know who Smith Wigglesworth was? The apostle of faith. I happen to know the person, the family of the preacher that Smith Wigglesworth died at his funeral. I actually know them. They're very close to me. I love them. They love me. I know more Smith Wigglesworth stories than you can read in books. I have friends that when they were children, they would ride Smith Wigglesworth on the back. Literally, as they go home to, to the house in Cross Keys Wells, they would get down on their knees, and, or he would, Smith would, as they belovedly called him, and he would crawl around the room, and my buddy Paul would get on his back. He would ride him around like he was a horse. I'm sick of all of this uppity-up preacher stuff where people keep their self at arm's distance from those that have need. I've never been like that. I'm just simply cleddy. I believe that there are a lot of people that question everybody's motives that possibly was somebody that left today. And the reason they question the motives is because they got sin, hidden sin in their life. I want you to understand that I've seen it again and again. And so my friend would get on Smith Wigglesworth's back. And you know, one day he told me, he said, the thing about Smith Wigglesworth that I like, that he was naturally supernatural, naturally. Everybody say that, naturally, supernatural, naturally. I do not believe the anointing ever leaves me. I do not believe the anointing ever lifts. Now, you may want to believe that about yourself. It's just because you believe like that that you turn it off. The anointing never leaves you. does not leave me when I'm asleep. When I go into a restaurant, I find often that the word of knowledge begins to operate in me concerning people in that place. I was at CC's this morning, very early. That's coffee place. I think that means community coffee. I should have been smart enough not to go in there because it makes my bald head, the hair, stand right up on end. <laughs> when I drink community, and I don't even know if they make seaport anymore, but you understand that I've been around this area before. And so what happened, there was a man in there. I'm going to try to get back there tomorrow morning before I get there because I think he's a regular. He was talking about, and loud enough for everybody to hear, I haven't been to church in 35 years. He was bragging about it. This guy sitting next to him said, well, I'm very involved in church. And this guy kind of sheepishly says, well, do you ever do anything, you know, for the community? Oh, I've got a few things I'm involved with. It must have had a little money. You know, it's kind of like in Texas, you know people that have land. How many of you know how to tell if a Texan has land, if he's a cowboy? If he's got a little land, he puts one boot, one, one of his pant legs in his boot. If he's got a lot of land, he puts both his pant legs in his boot. It means I got a lot of land. I had a friend one time, he said, he said, I can drive 30 miles and not spit off my own property. I thought to myself, wow, he's got a lot of property. And then I thought, I've got an opportunity to make a point. I said, I can be on the other side of the earth and not spit off on my own property. <laughs> you get it? <laughs> and so... 
Tonight, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do something for us, and I want to challenge your thinking. I'm going to try to stretch your mind. It's kind of like the crow that sits on the fence post, and all of a sudden you go out there with a shotgun, and you shoot at the crow, and you missed it. He said, well, what do you prove if you shoot a crow with a shotgun sitting on a fence post and you miss it? You prove that you don't know anything about shooting a shotgun. <laughs> and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach tonight. I don't usually do that. I don't like to come in a building this size and preach. I do it a lot of times. I don't like to come in a place like this and just haul off and preach. And dear God, some of the big churches that I go into to preach the gospel, you know, I've got to speak in a very low voice as not to disturb those who whisper. Yet each sermon must be crisper and crisper. Going to church, why waste our time? We can always mail in a gift of a dime. <laughs> and so the Lord dealt with me to just put a point on follow your God-given passion. I'm going to give you some questions, and, and you write down your own answers. You just write down the questions. Get your phones out. Get your iPad. Get your telephone. <clears throat> follow your God-given passion. The first question would be if Jesus was telling you and speaking to you and you were trying to discover whether you were really following your God-given passion, the question would be, do you love me? Do you love me? I got a grandson that has fallen in love, so he's moving from this area to another area because he loves the girl that he's fallen in love with. And so you're going to follow what you love. If you love the saints, you'll follow them, win or lose. I went and spoke one time to the saints with Jacob. I spoke to their coaches, and God gave me a word for them. You know what the word was? I said to Mike Ditka, God gave me a word for you. Your losses are not your bosses. So he got fired. But his losses were not his bosses. As a child of God, your losses are not your bosses. What do you love? You love fishing, you love hunting. You don't want me to go there, Bubba. I know you don't want me to go there. <laughs> I go to Africa and they take me on safari and tell me that I can shoot anything I want to. And I was a hunter, you know, in Texas when I was younger and pastoring over there. And I just don't have a heart to do that. It's not one of my gauges in life, but I love to walk in the men's bathroom here. I really do. I think it's the coolest thing in the world. I go in the men's bathroom, take pictures of the animals. If you're following your God-given passion, number one, do you love me? Jesus is saying, do you love me? How can you follow your God-given passion if you're not just madly in love with him? He scandalously loves you. Oh, he doesn't love me. I have broken his heart again and again and again. That's why he allowed his heart to be broken. Out of his side flowed blood and water. Because it's a demonstration of how much he loves you. Number two, do you love me as much as what I gave you to do? I mean, we can love working in the ministry. 
I mean, when we were working with the boys in the inner city and the girls in the inner city, I mean, I can tell you stories that Jacob can't tell you because he wasn't privy to them. He was just a part of what was happening. He wasn't the only story. I can tell you about young ladies, you know, that, that would come in and they had been taken advantage of and our hearts would break over them. Tell you about things that you don't even want me to talk about. And yet I want you to understand, you know, I fell in love with what God gave me to do. Why not fall in love with, you know, having a hundred young people baptized at a given time? Why not fall in love with going into public schools and preaching the gospel and seeing hundreds and hundreds of people come? Why not fall in love when you're on an adventure and it's a romance to walk with Jesus? I was pastor in the third largest Pentecostal church in Houston, Texas when I was 28 years old. And when I felt God call me to the heart of Texas, it's a journey. What God asks you to do never ends with what God asks you to do. You'd be smart to write that down. You'd be real smart to write that down. I was pulling out of the city and God spoke to me. I can take you to the spot out on I-10 where he spoke to me. And he said, do you love me? Did you love me as much as what I gave you to do? And so you can love the church. You can love your job. You can love your family. They can become an idol to you. Do you love me as, what, as much as what I gave you to do? I love what I do now. I'm a pastor. Tomorrow morning, Barry Ogden will be speaking for us. His journey goes like this. He comes to our church. We're having a move of God. He is one of the top television producers in America. He's young, and he's got... You know, he's got blood in his eye. He wants to climb the ladder. He's, he's going to be here in two weeks. I'm going to tell you right now, he is nobody's dummy. And if you're rich and you love missions and you love Jesus more than you love him, I'll okay you wanting to marry him because he's never been married. Amen? He's one of my spiritual sons. Let me tell you something. He's genius. He was... A young man that God touched, just like he touched some of you. I mean, the power of God came on him. He was getting ready. They were putting him in one of the big trucks to be the producer of a wide world of sports. They pay those guys great money. I mean, he was around, you know, all of those great producers. That's what they were getting ready to do. But God touched him. And that had been his passion. I've been with him when computers, you know, people really first get it. He could, I'd give him a list of numbers that was on my computer, you know, my, my computer's number. He could remember it and just type it in. I can't do that. But he had a mind that worked like that. He was a television producer. He knew everything, the cost of tubes and every electronic thing. And God spoke to him. And he said, I want you to go with Cleddy to England. You wouldn't believe how many people have gone with me places and could never find their way back. I want you to go with me to England. And so he's, the Lord spoke to him. So he took his vacation time, went to England. There was a move of God up in Sunderland. He ended up going up there and he produced a television program for them for about two years. And then all of a sudden they said, we're going to go to Albania. The wall just came down. We're going to go to Albania, Barry. We'd like for you to go with us. So he said, well, I'll go with you over there. 
He got to Albania, and, and, and God touched his heart. He, God gave him a passion for Albania. I mean, God just wrecked his life. I mean, God just stepped in and said, okay, boy, it's time for change. And so they took him to England, and he could never find his way back to England. The only time he comes back to England is when I'm over there preaching, and he quits everything just to come and be there to get a download, to get, get filled up, to go back and fight the battle again. And Albania Christianity is only 20 years old. They don't know who Billy Graham is or Roberts. They don't know who Kenneth Copeland is. They don't know who Kenneth Hagin is. They have no history whatsoever. There's a pastor of a church there that, that's the, the church that all of the people from all over the world can come to where they speak English. And so it's a, a church that's just really a great, great group of people, young people, of course, and older people. And the pastor says, look, Barry, I've got to go back to Indianapolis. He was an Assembly of God pastor. Barry's not even an Assembly of God. said, I've got to go back to Indianapolis. And I just wondered if you would just fill in for me. He's a single guy. He said, I would just wondered if you, would, if you would just stay here and kind of watch over the church. Now, the fellow was a great pastor, a great missionary, but he could never find his way back to Albania. And for the last 12, 15 years, Barry's been the pastor of that church there. And he is a great pastor. He is wonderful. I spoke there. I'm telling you what, you have never lived until you're with people that have no history, no religious background, and you're making history with them and for them. That's the joy. That's the delight of being a missionary to go where no feet have carried the gospel for. How lovely are the feet of them who bring good news, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness. Our God reigns. My God in heaven. Feel like taking offering. Amen. Do you love what I'm doing through you more than you love what I'm doing in you? What God is doing, and Alice, she described it for us and for everyone that's in this room. For those that are going through a, a time of disturbance where what God is doing in you is, is treacherous. It's unkind. God doesn't love you. Why would he put you in that position? Oh, if God loved me, he wouldn't deal with me so harshly. You got to begin to love what God is doing in you more than you love what God is doing through you. Somebody in this room, God is preparing you for what he's prepared for you. It's not time yet for you to step out on the mission field. But you need to begin to pray like you're on the mission field right now. You love the work of God or the experiences that he's giving you more than you love the God of the work or more than God who is giving you the experiences. Number five, do you love the church that I loved enough to give myself for it? How much do you love the church? Look, I've been in this thing not quite as long as my wife. She's been it all her life. She, she knows what it is to love the church. I told them this morning, Gaynell, how that your mom would have to stay up all night to fight the rats off of her. She looks still pretty good, so she did a good job. 
I want you to understand something. There's people that have made sacrifices that you know nothing about. You're not even made out of the same material they made out of. They did it for you. They did it for us. They made sacrifices because they knew that fire falls on sacrifice. I said fire falls on sacrifice. What we've got to do is be sacrificial. Was your offering tonight not for me but for Vellum? Was your offering, was it, was it a sacrifice? We, we need to stop and rethink even this. It really is important, folks. Do you love the church that I loved enough to give myself for it? I love the church. I love the church. I love the problems I had to deal with. My phone has burned up today with a guy that's having a, a really hard time with his wife, and she's having a harder time with him. I, 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 my phone has burned up today with friends that are in the ministry that are having battles. My, my phone has burned up today with people that need prayer. Do you understand? I love the church. Where did you get this love for the church? I love Jesus. I love the head of the church. I love his bride. There's no way that I'm going to violate his bride. Do you love me as the bridegroom as you, much as you love my bride? Do you love me as the bridegroom as much as you love my bride? Do you love the re? Of God. You know what the re of God is? It's refreshing. It's revival. It's renewal. It's restoration. Restoration. More than you love, more you love the God of the re. I love the God of the re. I love revival. I got saved in revival. I got born again in revival. I got revelation and revival where a crippled man came down the altar a couple of nights after I got saved. And my dad, who was never a Christian, was there. And the evangelist challenged everybody in the building and said, if you're an unbeliever, never had a, seen a miracle, come down here. A woman came down on two crutches. The doctors had frozen her ankles and she could not walk because she had no flexibility. They had been surgically fixed where she couldn't move them. My little daddy got right down the front. I'd just been saved three days. I felt like I was the world's greatest evangelist. My daddy was standing there just on the aisle. I can just see my little daddy now. My little daddy watched as that evangelist prayed. All of a sudden, that woman's ankles began to loosen up. And she walked out of there with those crutches over her shoulder. How long has it been since you've seen the evidence of a greater reality come into a meeting? That's what we're crying out for. That's what you want. You have a right to expect it every time you walk in the door. We're in a tour together, together in my name. He said, I'm in the midst of them. Amen. Now, I take it a lot louder than this. I can preach it a lot harder than this, but I'm afraid I'd leave you in the smoke. <laughs> there are questions in the Bible that demand an answer. 
Some of you have not yet answered those questions that demand an answer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. I think they have it back there. It's in the Amplified. May the Lord make you increase and excel and overflow in love one for another and for all people just as we also do for you. Now, how many of you say, I'm full of the Holy Ghost? Raise your hand. You're not full till you're overflowing. How many of you know that? A container is not full until it's overflowing. And so Paul captures this. And may the Lord make you increase and excel and overflow in love one for another. You can forget loving the world, loving the mission field, if you don't love the people around you. To live below with those we know, I'm telling you right now, sometimes tough. To live above with saints we love, that will be glory. To live below with those we know, that's another story. Come on now. Talk back to me. Nobody said amen yet. They said amen because they're talking about the person next to them. It's their husband. Amen. Just as we also do for you, he sets a president so that he may strengthen and confirm and establish your hearts faultlessly pure and unblameable in holiness in the sight of our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah with all his saints and all his glorified people of God. Amen, so be it. Now I want you all to notice this. He's strengthening, confirming, and establishing our hearts faultlessly pure and unblameable in holiness. And the sight of God and our Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of John, chapter 21. Jesus begins to show himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. I've been there many times. And on this wise, he showed himself. There were together Simon, Peter, Thomas, Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana, Galilee, sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. He could have been a Cajun. They say unto him, we go also. We're also going with you. They went forth, entered into a ship, and immediately that night they caught nothing. And when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore the disciples whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. That's John that's talking, who writes this book. Now when Peter, Simon Peter, heard that it was the Lord, he cured his fisher's coat in him, for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, two hundred cubits, dragging the net with the fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw the fire of coals, and there the fish laid their own and bread. And Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish which ye now caught. Simon Peter went up, drew the net, land full of fish, great fishes, 153, for all were there so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples asked him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? I want you to go down to verse 15. 
So when they died, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Do you see there? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's a prerequisite. Do you love me? Do you really love me? I tell guys that are getting married, girls that are going to get married, especially guys, don't marry a girl that's not willing to die for what she believes. Don't marry a girl that doesn't love Jesus more than she loves you. Because if she doesn't love Jesus more than she loves you, she ain't going to be able to put up with your dirty socks and your B.O. and you taking the hairballs out of your navel. I'm telling you right now. You picking your nose. She's not going to be able to put up with all that stuff. I mean, you better marry somebody just crazy in love with Jesus. Amen. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said to him, yeah, Lord, you know, I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep. He said to him the third time. And that word there is agapeo. It's agape of persons. Do you love me more than you love persons? It means to be fond of, to welcome, to entertain, to love dearly. He said, I phileo you. I approve of, I like, I sanction, I treat affection or kindly, I welcome you, I befriend you, I show signs of love. I'll even kiss you, I'll be fond of doing it. That's exactly what is going on here. And so the question is, you're going to ever find your God-given passion is do you really love him? That's the crux of the matter. How much do you love him? You know, love is cheap today. How many of you know love is cheap? Wow. My God. There's going to be changes in your life if you really love him. He's going to find out if you can hear his voice. Why don't you stand up? Tell them your name. Andrew. Your last name. McCann. Okay, Andrew McCann, I want you to go stand back there right in front of the soundboard. Run back there. Run. Chug. <clears throat> Sometimes we just don't get it. Okay, Andrew, I'd like for you to go sit right over there by that guy back there with a what do you call those things in Louisiana? There you go. I want you to give him a big hug. Give him a Judas kiss. <laughs> Slap the fire out of him. Andrew, I want you to come up here. Finding your God-given passion. Why don't you stand right here by me for a little while? Just come on up here. Now, what do you think I was teaching? Was there any reason for him to go back to the soundboard? Was there any reason for him to go over by this brother back here? What was the reason? Why did I do that? Was that a specific assignment? He did exactly what I asked him. He obeyed. But what if the whole matter is that God puts you in places, take this job, buy this house, do this, 
move here. Go down to the grocery store and stand there and wait until the person that I want you to bless comes by. If you want to pray for the sick, go down to the hospital. Park where it says right next to the handicap. And when people get out of their cars, say, hey, are you handicapped? Hey, are you a smart aleck? I mean, you want to really find out if this works. <laughs> say, would you mind if I prayed for you? I know churches where they do that, where they're trained to do that. And would you believe people get healed? And what was it that I was trying to teach him? It wasn't the place. It was to hear my voice. God sends us places. He asks us to do certain things because he wants you to learn how to hear his voice. My sheep know my voice. He can send you to the city for a year. See if you're really willing to listen to his voice. I was a part of Calvary Commission when it started, just getting out of the starting blocks. Working in the inner city of Houston, I loved every minute of it. Souls were saved, multicultural ministry was taking place when multicultural ministry was not taking place. I was on a journey of faith, I did not realize it. I didn't have a one-year plan, I didn't have a five-year plan, I didn't have a 10-year plan. Look. I can do what these guys in these churches are that have systematic leadership and plans and, and teams and doing this and that. I can do that. I don't have any problem doing that. But they can't do what I do. Not everybody's called to do the same thing. Whoa, I just felt, hmm, thinking about that, huh? I hear you. I just simply followed God on a daily basis. That's how I got where I am. I just simply followed God on a daily basis. You can have a sawdust head and be full of the Holy Ghost. You can make it in this life. <laughs> Y'all understand what I'm saying? It's very simple, folks. So simple that a wayfaring man, though a fool, cannot err therein. One night in Houston... They called me about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'd been going night and day, sleeping maybe two hours a night. I'm legendary for not sleeping. People tell you all kind of stories. I take a power nap, and it's like I've slept eight hours. I did that this afternoon. I don't have to have the comforts everybody has to have. I'm high mileage and low maintenance. Y'all understand what I'm doing? I just don't need all that stuff. They give me bodyguards when I go into meetings. Do I look like I need a bodyguard? Who in the world would want me? I mean, it's crazy the way people think. I don't need a bodyguard. I got angels been taking care of me. I mean, they protected me from myself. I'm not going to trade them in on a bodyguard. I promise you that. I've been in car wrecks, killed 13 people. I've ridden a hippopotamus. <laughs> he still don't believe it. I've been attacked by blacks, 
1,500 of them in Soweto. That's when it was really bad. I preached crusades in Hillbrow. Oh, he just shaking his head. God sends me to all of those luxurious places. <laughs> he does send me to Hawaii every once in a while to preach. My cross is I had to take Jacob with me. Amen. <laughs> I want you to hear what I'm saying. I want you to get this. And so they asked me to be on the board of Calvary Commission. Man, I loved it. I loved Joe Foss. I was with him when he couldn't even talk. He doesn't make money. He was a, a millionaire, you know, in such a way. He had seven restaurants and, and cafes in Tyler, Texas, and gas stations. And, you know, big semis would come in. and just barbecue that make you want to slap your mama. I mean, he had, he had it going. And God told him, I want you to sell everything. I want you to be a missionary. I want you to follow me. And Joe followed his God-given passion. And now Calvary Commission has churches and prison ministries all over the world. It's amazing ministry. But I was on the board when it started. And the Lord spoke to me. One day when I was praying about Calvary Commission, he said, What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Now, he's my buddy. He's my friend. I feel like I owe him. I feel like I want to help him. It was up in Lindale, Tyler, Texas. Everybody wanted to go to Lindale and Tyler, Texas because Agape Force and Youth with a Mission, and all of them were up there. And I was on the board. I was somebody. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm telling you, I had it going on. I was, a, I was on the board of Calvary Commission. It's a real ministry. The Lord spoke to me. And he said, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. So I had to call my friend and tell him, Joe, God spoke to me that I have to resign. He said, why, Cletty? I said, I feel like I need to get out of the way for someone else to come in here and have their place. I was standing in the way of someone else's place. And so I resigned. I've had that happen a lot of times in my life. You see, you have to learn that I've got to follow my God-given passion. Just like Alice talked today, tonight, and she read your mail. I'm telling you right now, I think that what has happened is there are a lot of people that don't love him to the degree that if they have a position, they can give it up. I know worship leaders need to give up their job. They couldn't make it out in the world in a million years singing, so they come to the church and punish us. <laughs> How many of you have been that church? I I'm serious. I'm not trying to be funny. Lives were being changed. I had lessons to learn that I could only learn in seasons of refreshing which I'm not sure could be learned any other way. All of a sudden, I begin to hear God speaking, do you love me? Are you willing to lay down your life for the one you love? See, this is not a game, folks. Do you love me as much as what I gave you to do? Do you love me, what I'm doing in you, as much as what I'm doing through you? Some of you are clay right now. 
and to make pottery. And hey, you're going to give me time to do this. You're going to give me time. I, I believe God will show up before 11 tonight. Does that make you feel a lot better? <laughs> the potter, I've been to Hebron. You can't go there now. But I've been to Hebron. And what they do is that's where they make the clay. Did you know there's more clay, cups, bowls, earthenware that is used in the earth than plastic and glass and metal? People are still, more people, a higher percentage drink out of cups that are made out of, you know, pottery material. You know what it is? Mud. And they take it and they take a lump of clay out of the earth. They take it and they set it up on a, a step like this. I've seen them do it. It's a drying process. Some of you, God has just taken you out of the earth. It's just a lump of clay that he takes you and we're made out of the dust. He takes us and he sets us on those steps. Puts us out in the hot sun and we begin to bake. So, uh, hey, just read me a verse out of the New Testament. You ain't going to learn this any other way, folks. And so you set out in the dry sun and the burning sun in Hebron just like they did in Jesus' day. And that lump of clay begins to bake. I mean, you begin to crack, you're just a lump of clay. And then, thank God, the potter has mercy on you, and he begins to pour water. He comes out, and he pours water, and it runs down, and there's clay, 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 so you're not there by yourself. Lump, 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 lump. You're just a lump. And all of a sudden, he begins to pour water, and he begins to soften that. You think, oh, man, this feels good. This is better than the Texas sun. You're just sitting out there. You've been baking. Now he's pouring the water of the word of God over your life. And then he takes you, and he begins to take you into his hands, and he begins to mold you. And he's got clay all the way up to his elbows. And he continues to soften you and pour water over you. The water of the word of God, revelation, insight, truth. He begins to pour the glorious gospel over you and you begin to soften. You think, oh man, I love this. He just got me like he's got the whole world in his hands. And he's just molding me. And I become more pliable and more pliable and more pliable. What I don't know is that potter has taken a piece of metal and he's tied it to a point on this desk, this potter's desk, where he's been throwing me down every once in a while, even though I'm solving, he goes, whoop! And I feel a jolt that just absolutely shocks my very system. That's what some of you are going through right now as young Christians and nobody got around to telling you this. It's like, whap, who hit me? Where'd that come from? Where's that blow? What's that for, God? But he's got this piece of metal that's tied from one point 
all the way to another point, and it's rigid and it's tight. And the thing you don't want is getting ready to happen. And he takes you like this, and he throws you down over that taunt wire and cuts you right half in two. How many of you want to be what God wants you to be? You, you, didn't, you didn't bargain for this? You just want to sign in, sign up, sign out when Jesus comes? You didn't want to have this going on? Come on, talk to me. You never think about this? You're looking the one that has been cut in two many times. So what are you doing that for? What he's doing, he's taking the air bubbles out of that lump of clay. You're not going to be puffed up in pride by the time he gets through with you. I'm telling you right now, it, it is an eye-opening experience when you think that you've got it all together and then all of a sudden he cuts you in two. You think you're in a magician's box and he just sawed you right in two. I'm telling you, it's painful. It's painful to think we've got it all together. But he cannot have air bubbles in the pottery when he gets ready to, to take it to the another step. You'd think, well, that's enough. No, it's not. He gets all the air bubbles out, puts you all back together like Humpty Dumpty and takes you back out and sets you out there to bake again. You go through a dry season, you're going, why, why? Then you make a, a decision. You bail out of the job. You bail out of a marriage. You know, you bail out on your family. You think, man, I got to medicate this, dear God. I got to medicate this. Give me a value. Man, I'm, I'm, it's driving me crazy. I'm losing my mind. I know people that are preachers that have had to take pills in the morning to get up, take pills at night when they go to bed. So you're back out there and the sun is just baking down on you. You ain't shaking and baking now. You're baking. And it gets hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. You're thinking, what is God doing to me? He's helping you find your God-given passion. Because one of these days you're going to be a vessel of honor or you're going to be a vessel of dishonor. You're the one that's going to make the choice. And so what happens, he comes back out, he picks your lump up. After he's poured water on you and you begin to soften up. And this time he's got you softened up and then he puts you under his feet. And he begins to tread the clay. Have you ever heard the Lord say to you like he did to Jeremiah, come on son. Let's go back to the potter's house. You remember where Judas ended up? In a potter's field. As a suicide. Oh, I forgot you're down there under his feet. Now you're squeezing through his toes. You go, oh. <laughs> you're, you're crying. He's squeezing the moisture out of you. 
He gave you tear ducts because you're going to need them. And he's squashing you. And then you begin to squeeze up between his toes because it's the master. It's the potter. It's the creator of all things. You begin to squeeze up between his toes. And then you begin to squeeze through the nail-pierced foot. And you go, oh, Jesus, it feels so good. I surrender. Just make me pliable. Whatever it takes, Lord, to make me what you want me to do, just keep on doing it. It's kind of a sweet moment. It picks you up. It puts you on the potter's wheel. Oh, it's terrible. Because then all of a sudden things are coming out of control. And your life is spinning. And you, you don't know how to handle what's going on in your life. And he's peddling. You go, God, my life is out of control. What, what, what's happening to me? Why, why, why doesn't everything seem steady? What, what's going on that, that makes me feel so dizzy with life? I'm not a blonde. <laughs> Somebody went, hey. <laughs> and so he does, he just spins us and then he puts his hands down in us. And he begins to shape a vessel. And what's worse, he takes a stick, a sharp stick. I watched them do it right there in Hebron where they were doing it when Jesus was there. And they began to stick it in and they began to cut away lumps of clay. Oh, oh, oh. That hurts. What is it in your life that he wants to remove? What, what is it would take away from you being what he wanted you to be? What is it that would show up later if he doesn't take care of it now? The air bubbles that are in you, the arrogance, the pride. What is it that he has to take out of you? And he shapes a vessel. And you're just kind of sitting pretty. Now you think he's just going to set you out there and let you bake in the sun. All of a sudden it's... What's that noise? He has just opened the door to the kiln. And he takes a, a platter and he sets you on it and he sticks you into the furnace. Am I preaching to the wrong crowd? Oh, y'all don't go through this down here in Louisiana? You just get your ticket punched, glory to God, I'm going to make it. Ain't going to nothing happen to me. I got faith. I just confess it away. Hallelujah. Get that hot bacon oven with him. And you think, dear Lord, I am going to die. If God just brought me here to preach this to one person, I'm going to tell you right now, there's nobody that escapes this process. I don't care who you are. 
and studying books don't get this into you. It's his, you're his handiwork, handiwork, handiwork. He's a hands-on God. Yes, he is. So he puts you in there, and you're baking, and it's hot, and something begins to happen. There's something solid that begins to happen in you. Something that's rigid. Something is being developed that can be used. Amen. Said you've hewed you out of vessels, broken vessels that can hold no water. Your bucket's got a hole in it. And so you've been baked, and then all of a sudden, light comes into the subject. He opens the furnace. He pulls you out. He sets you over there and lets you cool off. And you cool off, and the master comes, and he takes that vessel of honor. He looks down inside. It's not crazed. It's not cracked in the bottom of it. You know, like you take fine china and you put that match under it to see if it's crazed down at the bottom of it. He, he takes you and he's shaped you and he's molded you. He's been making you. Say, Pastor, I, I've gone through some of the hardest things. I've made the wrong choices. I've done things that... I would to God that I hadn't done. How can he ever pick me up? Here's what the Bible says. He said he'll come and he'll pick you up and he'll make you over again. Some of you feel as though that maybe you've passed your hour. Let me tell you what we are. In this hour, how many of you believe Jesus is coming? Somebody say amen. amen. I believe Jesus is coming. I want to introduce you to two words. Do you love me like the paranymph loves me? Are you throwing that up? Are you throwing that up, paranymph? Do you love me like the paranymph loves me? Say, well, I never heard that word. You know who the paranymph is? You remember John the Baptist? I don't even know if I'll take time to read this scripture, but John the Baptist was called a friend of the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom was a paranymph. Matter of fact, the friend of the bridegroom would come. It was his best friend. He loved, he loved the bridegroom. How many of you love the bridegroom? And if there was a girl that his friend wanted to marry, he would go to her and he'd say, look, I'm the representative of my friend Bubba. And he just wanted me to come and tell you that he thinks you're the most beautiful thing in the world and that you're everything this heart could ever desire. He wants to, you know, have a future with you, make babies with you. Lots of babies. <laughs> it's a Catholic thing. 
And I, I'm, I'm telling you, this is what the paranymph would do. He would come and he'd say, he wants your hand in marriage. And that's a paranymph. That's actually the culture. That's actually the way it worked. Did you know that? And when you begin to think about it, you think about John the Baptist being the paranymph. He was a forerunner. He was a paranymph. This is from Introduction to a Critical Study and Knowledge of the Holy Scriptures by Thomas Hartwell Horn, 1856. The office is assigned to the paranymph for numerous and important. On the count of these, the Baptist compares himself to a friend of the bridegroom. Rational illustration of the Book of Common Prayer of the Church by Charles Wheatley, 1848. Though it may not be improbable, but that by the friends here mentioned may be understood, such as the paranymphs, as the ancients used to call the friend of the bridegroom. See, let me tell you what I think is happening. I think God has saved some revelation until now. Some, how many of you ever heard about the paranymph? How many of you never heard this? How many think I'm preaching out a Bible you don't know nothing about? <laughs> I'm telling you, this is the Bible. It's been an overlooked truth. A paranymph is a ceremonial assistant or a coach in ceremony. In ancient Greek weddings, the bride and the bridegroom were attended by paranymphs, their best friends. And from this use, it has been generalized to refer to attendance of doctoral students, best men and bridesmaids in weddings and the like. It can refer specifically to the friend of a bridegroom tasked with the accompanying him in the chariot to fetch the bride home. I mean, you're such a good friend, you go in your chariot to go fetch the bride to bring the bride back to your home. Oh, my God in heaven, somebody ought to be shouting now. Thayer's definition is a friend, to be a friendly to one. Wish him well, a friend, associate. He associates familiarly with one, a companion. One of the bridegroom's friends on his behalf asked the hand of the bride and rendered him various services in closing the marriage and celebrating the nuptials. An obscure use of the word is as a spokesman for the bride or bridegroom. Who is the friend of the bridegroom? In John 29, 329. It was John. In John 3.30, he said, He must increase, and I must decrease. I have a friend that said, That was then, this is now. He must increase, I must die. But they didn't know about the paranoia. It's a cultural reference to a friend of the bridegroom assisted the Jewish groom by making the prior arrangements for his wedding, for his marriage. He brought the couple together. Perhaps the reference is the verse to John standing and hearing the bridegroom paints the picture of his best friend of the groom waiting in the bride's home for the arrival of the groom. All this is telling. John's water baptism prepared people for the coming of the bridegroom. Christ's baptism of the Spirit brings the church, the bride, into view. It's not a group. It's a man. It's a woman. I'm a friend of the bridegroom. You ever heard this? 
You know about the paranymph? Have you ever heard that? What about Shoshabain? Same thing. An attendant. What the church is going to have to understand, and I believe that God wants you to find your God-given passion, and your God-given passion will be the souls of men, to win men and women to God, to go out in the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, tell them the table of the Lord, the wedding supper of the Lamb has come. That's what our job is. Jesus is coming soon, and he's going to anoint this church, and the church is going to have the anointing of a paranymph. You're going to be a friend of the bridegroom. People look at what God has done in this little overlooked city, dysfunctional city, and when they drive by, I tell you right now, they're having to say, you know, that church is God's friend, and God is a friend of that church. Let me tell you about Abraham. You don't mess with God's friends. You hear what I said? You don't mess with God's friends. We're living in a time when Jesus is preparing a bride. The Holy Spirit is preparing a bride. And Jesus is coming soon. You don't want to miss that day. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Find your God-given passion. What you have to do is just say yes. When I married my wife, I spoke to her dad and I said, well, Hardy, said nobody can ever say that I married your daughter for money. You know what he told me? He said, well, Cletty, nobody can ever say that she married you for yours. <laughs> and we were best friends forever. Everybody should have a father-in-law like I did. Find your God-given passion. It starts with, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That's where it starts. Do you love church? Do you love music? I love music. Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. I wrote that. No, ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. No, ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. No, ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. Well, out of the room and into the streets, they stumbled through the door. People all around said they were insane. What are they drinking this early for? Peter stood in the midst of the crowd with a voice that was quiet and low. Said, these are not drunk as ye suppose, and we're here to let you know that there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. No, ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. No, ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. No, ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. Amen. When Jesus comes back, I want to be having a Holy Ghost party. 
And we'll shout while we're passing through the air. And we'll holler to one another as we're going up in the twinkling of an eye. Man, I'm telling you right now, that was a party to end all parties. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look, you're a friend of the bridegroom. You know the bridegroom. The people out there don't know the bridegroom. You know him better than you think you do. I know a guy that was a real soul winner. He was in Atlanta. This is before 9-11. And he was in one of the terminals, and their plane was delayed for about two hours. He just jumped up on a table in the middle of the terminal, and there was probably three or 400 people sitting there. And he jumped up, and he said, I have an announcement to make. Man, all of them mad. They're all upset because their plane's been delayed. He said, I'm in love with a man. <laughs> he had their undivided attention. <laughs> he said, let me tell you about him. Said he meets all my needs. He provides for everything I have a desire for. He began to just marvelously proclaim Jesus and share with them, you know, the wonders of his salvation. He rescued me when I was dying. I was undone. I was alone. I was miserable. Let me tell you his name. His name was Jesus. He gave an altar call in a terminal in Atlanta, Hartsville Airport. And there was over a hundred people that came and gave their hearts to Jesus right there. He was a friend of the bridegroom. How many of you are really a friend of the bridegroom? I was with Jamie over in England. And when he got up in the morning, he was talking about how wonderful his wife was. How he missed her. I hadn't been away from her like that. And he got talking about his kids, how he loved them. He got talking about that house he's building. He said, I went on this missions trip. Look at these pictures. They've got this thing framed right now. They just got it framed that day. I feel so bad that I'm over here, but I believe I'm in the will of God. But let me tell you about my wife. She is just a wonderful, she loves me. How many of you are that passionate about Jesus? What's he done for you lately? What do you need him to do tonight? I'm going to give an invitation. We don't mess around. So I've, had, I've responded to all the calls before. 
I presented myself to God, but he didn't do anything for me. I want you to understand, the devil got kicked out of heaven because of bad attitude. My question to you is, how's that working for you? How much peace do you have? How, how, how troubled are you? How many problems do your children have? Where, where do you go when you have no one else to turn to? Well, I just pray, but I'm not sure that he hears me. Well, how's that working for you? And you're here tonight, and you want to sign up, and you want to be a friend of the bridegroom. You want to be the paranymph that presents the bride to the bridegroom and is a part of that great day. How many people could you win to God right now? I know a man that came into a church in Pasadena, California, or Pasadena, Texas. He's over with Mom and Pop Goodwin. And she gave this guy a word. He worked in the oil field down around Houston when, and over in Baytown when it was booming out in between, you know, Selsby in that area and on through there, Winnie. This guy walked out of the building and rejected God. She gave him a word, said, that will be the last time that you ever have an opportunity to come to God. He went out on the rig the next day and the cables came out of the top slipped off of that wheel on top of that rig. He was on the rig, wildcat, wrapped around his neck and his head fell down on the platform. Y'all think this is not serious? I preach all over. I was in Mexico just right after we came back from England. There was a man that made it real difficult for his son. It cost me $300 to pay for a taxi because he wouldn't open the gate for his son to get his, his van out where his mariachi band could go do their work. He was with us over in Leon. That was in Moralia. There's two boys with me, two brothers. I turned to him. I said, your father has had his last chance. The following Saturday night, they were out at a wealthy home where a guy had had an affair. He sent the mariachis out there to try to charm his wife. She'd have nothing to do with it. It's just a cultural thing. She was so mad she took up a piece of steel and just inadvertently threw it down toward the mariachis. Hit him in the head, the father. Hit him in the head. Knocked him to the ground. They picked him up. This just happened five weeks ago. Y'all think that things are not getting serious? Playing church, buddy, is not going to help you one bit. 
Just like the covering has come off this nation, the covering is going to come off people that are playing church. Well, I don't believe that. You listen to the rest of this story. He had moved a woman into the house, kicked his wife out, was a Holy Ghost intercessor, a preacher of the gospel. I love her dearly. She is a wonderful woman. I've known her for years. Renee's father. His brother, Emmanuel, picked him up, carried him over and set him in the car. He said, Dad, Dad, please ask God to forgive you. He had just a little consciousness. And he cried, oh, God, forgive me. Tears began to pour down his face. Please forgive me for the way I've been. Please help me. He prayed that prayer. He went into coma. Blood began to gush out of his ears and gush out of his eyes and gush out of his mouth and gush out of his nose. And he was dead the next morning. I told his sons a week before, your dad has had his last chance. See, God's not going to build this church if people can't come in here and get set free. And those where people go just because they like, you know, the atmosphere, the ambiance, the way things go, the schedule, the service, they're not really getting set free. Then we failed them. I said, then we failed them. And these campuses, I pray you will have anointing, a burden-lifting, yoke-destroying anointing of God to set the captive free. The Holy Spirit's here. He loves you. He has never given up on you. If you'd say, Cletty, I want to make sure that I'm a friend of the bridegroom tonight. I want you to get up and walk down to this front, and we're going to pray for you. If you're not right with God, there's some question in your heart. Something hidden will be revealed, and you'll just get up and come down. We don't need any music. The music is the sound of your heartbeat right now. I want you to come. Just get up and come. You want to be a friend of the bridegroom? Oh, you love him? Did you talk to anybody about him this week? You love him? Did you spend any time with him today? You love him? Have you forgiven others as he has forgiven you? You love him? You want me to keep on going? Those are in this building that need to have a renewal, a revival, a restoration. You need God to do other things in your life. I want you to get up now in the name of Jesus and get down here. You don't need music. You need to take a step toward your deliverance. The moment you step out in the aisle, the chains are going to fall off of you. The sh I hear those shackles breaking right now. I hear them breaking. Get up. Come now. Don't sit back there. There are people here that have a call to missions, and you don't respond because you know it's going to cost you something. 
I guarantee whatever it costs you, he is a good paymaster and you will never regret it. If God calls you to be a missionary, don't lower yourself to be a king. There are other people here that need to come. You need to come. Bow your heart. Come. Just get up and come. Are your, are your brothers and sisters right with God? That you love God enough that they want what you have. Come on now, talk to me. Is your mother living for God? Is your father living for God? We need to get to the place where we don't rest day or not, night, and we don't let God rest day or night. Crying out to him and praying, oh God, Jesus is coming soon. What we've got to do, we've got to do quickly. I want you to come up here now in the name of Jesus. Don't hesitate another moment. I'm not going to beg you. You want to walk down here and you want to boldly say, I love Jesus enough to die for him. I love him. I want to give my life away. I want to be what God wants me to be. I don't want any shame when it comes to the name of Jesus. Come right now. Please come. Say, well, I signed a letter. Friend, how would you feel if your heart were made with a window on each side? Where men could see not just outward charm, but what you really are inside. How about your heart? Is it right with God? People only see you as you are outside. Jesus really knows you for he sees inside. Others that need to come down. I'm going to wait just a moment. Just going to wait a moment. This is not a manipulation. You heard what I preached. All I did was tell you something you never heard. That John was a friend of the bridegroom. I just want to give you an opportunity to come down here and say, Lord, I love you. I want to be what you want to be me to be. I want to be closer to you. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul. Rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Jamie and I were in a church, a men's meeting, on a Saturday night. And I gave a strong invitation. I said, there are people in this room that have a call of God on their life. And Jamie will tell you there was 28 men that came and stood on the platform and said they had a call of God on their life and made a commitment to do something with it. The call was already there. It just took somebody just to, just to challenge them. I had Steve Robinson there that night. Y'all know Steve? I said, Steve, you're not going to believe this service because he knows he thinks he knows everything. I said, you know, I don't believe it. he doesn't really, but he comes across like that. 
I said, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe what God's going to do in here. I said, God is going to absolutely pulverize you. Yeah, sure. He had brought his daughter to London because they were having, they wanted, he had always told her he'd take her to London when she graduated from high school, and then he would take her to Israel. So the first leg of their trip was London, and I was there doing a conference and preaching, installing pastors in churches and walking on water, all those good things you do. Steve came. I talked to his daughter during the day. And I said, sweetheart, I want you to get up and tell these men how much you love your daddy. And she got up and she told those men how much she loved her father. And Steve Robinson, God's man of faith and power, just built a $42 million church down in Mandeville, Louisiana, turned to Jello. He was God's man of paste and flour. And he wept. Jamie would tell you, he was so shook, he couldn't even talk. What would your daughter say about you if I brought her up on this platform? What would your son say about you if I brought him up on this platform? And I could really get him to tell the truth. I want everybody to stand in this room. You see, I had to go this way tonight because I want you to find your God-given passion. If you love your habit more than you love your children, Put it like this, how much you're stealing from them. If you love your pleasure more than you love your children, to what benefit? To what benefit is it for them? It is here, and God loves you, and, and I love you, and I believe in you. And, you haven't heard anybody say that a long time, but I do. When people respond to God, I believe in what God is going to do in their life. I believe your future is as bright as the promises of God. I believe that God wants you to discover and know your God-given passion. And like Alice said, you're in the right place. I want you in your own way. I want you just to talk to God right now. Talk to God like you talk to God. Don't let a priest or me or anybody else do your praying for you. Right now, you just tell God how much you love him, how much of a privilege it is to be washed in the blood, to be forgiven, that the shame is gone, that the chains are broken. Just begin to tell him how much you love him. Tell him how thankful you are that he loves you and how he gave his life for you. Come on, out loud. Just begin to talk to him. Just begin to tell him, God, I want you to use me. I want you to take me. I want you to use me. I want to be what you want me to be. Come on, talk to the Lord. Out loud. Don't stop. 
You can talk to your wife before you marry and tell her how much you love her by the hour. I ask you to tell Jesus just a few things about how much you love him. Your tongue cleaves to the roof of your mouth. Come on, begin to open your mouth, open your heart. Just thank God for all he's done for you. Hallelujah. Come on, just begin to praise him. Just raise your hands. You can't contain yourself. He loves you. 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 Oh, that's it. Come on. Come on. Heaven's listening. There's breakthroughs coming right now. There's breakthroughs coming right now. God wants to give your peace back. He is your peace. I want everybody to put your hand on your heart. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you feel like you're getting ready to fall, sit down. Grown people are smarter than little kids. Just put your hand on your heart right now. Everybody put their hand on their heart. I want you to say, Lord Jesus, in my heart, in the depth of my being, I ask you to come. And to make me what you want me to be. I know I've prayed this prayer before. But tonight I mean it. I want to be your friend. I want to introduce others to you. I want to be a friend of the bridegroom. Like John the Baptist, I want to talk to him about water baptism. Like John the Baptist, I want to be able to tell him there's one that's coming that's mightier than I am, the latchet of his shoe. I'm not worthy to unloose, and he can baptize them with Holy Ghost and fire. I ask you, Lord, right now to baptize me with Holy Ghost and fire. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the shame that I feel I've brought you. In the name that's above every name. My past is not my future. I make a declaration tonight. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'm changed. I'm changed. The chains have been broken. I will become a voice and not an echo. Thank you, Lord, for giving me holy boldness to tell everybody I meet what the Lord has done for me. I'll say, look what the Lord has done for me. He healed my body. He saved my soul. He baptized me with the Holy Ghost. I am different. My future is as bright as the promise of God. And I'm standing on that promise right now. In Jesus' name.